Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will like the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 33 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. I'm back today in Southern Oregon after a quick trip to Michigan to speak at the Michigan Osteopathic Association's Autumn Scientific Convention. And that was this past Saturday. And overall, I think it was a really great experience. I'll give a little recap here, and then we'll move into some of the ideas from that talk, which have also come up periodically throughout the podcast. And really looking back, one generally inspires the other. I think recording this podcast gives me the encouragement to put the message out there and giving the talk and seeing feedback and hearing what's meaningful to a live audience, um, in-person audience, is useful for the podcast as well. So this took place in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Amway Grand Plaza Hotel and conference center. It was part of a three-day conference on a variety of things. The lineup um, had a wide variety of lecture topics and physicians and specialists in many different areas. I think one of the more robust curricula that I've seen for this particular lecture series. And it was serendipitous, and this was the topic of her lecture actually, that the person preceding me was Dr. Terry Taylor, who works half-time in Malawi and half-time at Michigan State University and is a specialist in tropical medicine. And she was actually my interviewer during the time I was applying to medical school 18 years ago, pretty much to the day of that lecture. I'd flown back from my time as a, an exchange student studying abroad in England to interview for medical school, and she was one of the two folks who interviewed me and I remember the conversation and really appreciating her work and her experience living in Malawi and its proximity to South Africa who which is the homeland of my now husband and we had a great time and it felt like the most informal medical school interview I would have imagined I didn't have a big frame of reference for what I anticipated it was quite relaxed And seeing the nature of her work, and she talked in her lecture about serendipitous moments that led her to where she was today in the course that it created for her over the years. And her specialty is in studying cerebral malaria and looking at impact that can be had on prevention and treatment of and intervening on what can be pretty high mortality rate disease process. And interestingly, she takes 24 medical students every year from Michigan State University's College of Osteopathic Medicine to Malawi to do rotations 
in emergency medicine and internal medicine and pediatrics and OB. And I immediately would sign, was signed up for this. Um, you get to go in your fourth year. And from meeting her at interview day one and hearing about her experience, I knew this was something that I really wanted to do. And when the time came around, I was about 20 weeks pregnant with my oldest son and was having preterm contractions. And as it turns out now, I went to term and there were no issues. But at 20 weeks, it was recommended not to go to Malawi. And so I didn't and also have never then been to South Africa because it was meant to be teamed up with that rotation. And so it was a bit of a change in course for me and something that I still think about and something that I would still like to do. And considering now with my children, if they're at an age where they could accompany me and be part of that journey and experience and learning from other cultures and looking at the concept of this podcast and of the lecture that I would give following Dr. Taylor's about expanding the osteopathic concept, thinking about, you know, what would the utility of osteopathic manipulative treatment be in this place and space? And Dr. Taylor commented on that. We had a moment to speak before her lecture, thinking about where it could be utilized in, in a much different way than it often is here in the United States, because much of what we address here can be chronic postural issues and repetitive use injury. And in Malawi, they are using a lot of functional movement and they're up and about and you know, they have good biomechanics because they're not impeded by you know, sitting in chairs all day and computers like we are for the most part. Um, but thinking about its role potentially in the cerebral malaria and you know, thinking about the brain swelling that goes along with that and has the most risk for adverse consequences and outcomes and how perhaps treatment in the cranial field could be useful. And so it's still on the docket, you know, some 18 years later coming back to that and being inspired and perhaps now being able to approach it from a different perspective at a time when perhaps it's more meaningful as well. They've had different developments there at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital and the role might be now that they're a much more established medical community to bring forth the osteopathic concept and see how it might already be in place. You know, thinking about the approach and the cultural philosophies there, perhaps they're adapting some of these by a different name. So it'd be a really fascinating journey. So I'll put that on the list and I was encouraged to be able to hear her speak, to speak with her and to remember kind of that beginning of my journey in osteopathic medicine beginning there and seeing where the opportunity is to continue along that path. So when it came my turn to talk, we had a few technical difficulties and I had joked uh, with a colleague in the audience with whom I had trained during my medical student and residency years in Muskegon, Michigan. I could just wing it. My slides were mostly pictures and if any of you have lectured on any stage you may have had one of those moments, and I did once. I recall lecturing to students, and my slides just didn't make it. They didn't get emailed. They didn't get saved. It was one of those kind of perfect storm, modern-day, dog-ate-my-homework situations. And thankfully, making the slides helps you to remember them, and I had made them from A to Z, so alphabetical, so I at least had a letter prompt to think about what might come next in the slides, and I'd be curious if I could think about today what those might be. 
In any case, the technical difficulties were resolved and the slides came up. And as I stood at the podium and looked out at the audience, you know, I was kind of surprised to see one of my original attending physicians in the audience. And it makes sense. We're in the area near where I trained, and this is a semi-annual conference for osteopathic physicians, of which he is a member. And for a moment, it gave me pause and thinking, I'm lecturing on the osteopathic concept to this osteopathic physician who's been in practice for decades, who taught me, you know, what could I share? How would that be received? Um, And it was, you know, maybe a little intimidating, but also encouraging to have that opportunity to serve back in the educational circle and cycle. And had the moment after to speak with him and recap and thank him, as we've talked about in more recent episodes, you know, now being the person who takes students, gaining a deeper sense of appreciation and admiration for those private practice physicians who take students month after month after month and do so jovially and, you know, embrace the opportunity to teach even when it means slowing down a pace and hearing what he's been up to and sharing ideas about osteopathy and acknowledging, you know, as the next lecture was being prepared after mine from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and him noting that he wasn't quite sure what that might entail and me acknowledging to him that, you know, it's a new acknowledgement of the need for comprehensive care for patients, but essentially he'd always done that. You know, I'd seen him take care of his patients and he always was thinking about root cause and he acknowledged their humanity and the impact of their lifestyle choices on their health and worked with him, worked with them that way. And also just being in community with his patients was of huge value. So it was a great opportunity and I appreciated that moment in time to have the chance to in person thank someone who had been integral to my development in osteopathic medicine. So as I moved into the lecture, which was entitled Expanding the Osteopathic Concept for Personal and Professional Health, I moved into a lot of the concepts that have been addressed in the podcasts here and asked folks to kind of take a leap of faith or a change of lens of how they were considering osteopathy and osteopathic principles and the practice of osteopathic medicine and considering in the patient realm and maybe expanding that a bit, you know, different ways to look at the principles and the tenets that would help support optimal patient care, but also then to turn the lens and apply it to themselves, both as physicians, as osteopathic physicians, but also just as a human and how they could support their own health through the use of these principles. And then finally, professionally, thinking about the application to the profession as a whole, to osteopathic medicine, you know, in its organizational status, in its presence politically, and the influence it might have on the health of systems as well as individuals. For those of you listening, and if you don't fall into those realms, if you're not an osteopathic physician, and if you're not thinking about the practice of osteopathic medicine in the profession on a larger scale, the next step was to think about it in application to the community and how the principles could be applied in any setting. So perhaps whatever your industry might be, thinking about how using these principles could be supportive 
of the health of whatever undertaking you have at the moment. And some of the key pieces that came up throughout the course of the lecture were looking at the same and equal comparison. And we've talked about this a little bit before. I should catalog those episodes so I could direct you to it more specifically. But in the attempt to have equality, oftentimes we are asked or forced or we assume that it means we need to be the same. And we can look at that in osteopathic medicine and working to achieve equal rights, equal stature, equal accreditation, equal privileges in hospitals as MD physicians. A lot of the times it meant we kind of let go of the osteopathic principles and practice and you know, kind of shunned the credentials even at times in order to assimilate enough to be seen as equal by being the same. And I don't think that was the intention of A.T. Still in the development of osteopathic medicine. And I don't think it's the intention of the majority of osteopathic physicians, though being seen as legitimate and sufficient and able to meet criteria is a key factor. How to do that in a way that also allows you to maintain uniqueness is that critical point. And that's going to be the point of preservation and growth of the profession. Thinking about that in a different way, at present I have a middle schooler, my oldest son, and we had some transitions last year that were challenging. He came out of a school that had been familiar to him and was a very nurturing and kind of familial type environment. And moving into any new system was going to be challenging. And then he had to switch mid-year, which is not favorable in any case. As I think about his experience of being involved in the community, being accepted into the collective. When I think about acceptance, I hope for that to exist in a way that allows him to still be himself. So I want him to be accepted. I don't necessarily need for him or hope for him or want for him to fit in. And what I mean by that is the ideal is to be accepted wholeheartedly for who he is and how he is whether that's very different than his peers, whether that's like his peers, not for him to have to conform to the status quo or social expectations. And certainly he can practice kindness and involvement and understanding of those around him, but not have to become like them in order to be accepted among them. And I ask us to stop and think about that in any number of arenas. You know, Where do we think we're practicing acceptance when we're maybe at best practicing tolerance? You're here and you're different and maybe that's okay, but we're not really embracing that. We're not asking to learn from that. You know, we would like it. It would be more comfortable if that wasn't how it was and you maybe looked more like we did or acted like we did or believed what we believed. And I can see that crop up for myself. And, you know, I seek diversity. I hope for understanding of different cultures and races and religions and orientations and ways of being for myself and for my children. And I think about, are we living that out 
truly in our culture. We might have a voice for it and say that we welcome and encourage diversity, but are we tolerating? Are we accepting? Are we embracing? Are we encouraging? Are we inquiring? And can we move a little farther down that spectrum so we're not just at best able to live with, but really truly growing and learning and loving within that space? Another piece that came up was considering the osteopathic tenets, which we've gone through in early episodes in great detail. And as I was working through the preparation for the talk, I was thinking about how I wanted to express the experience of the tenets in a way that would be meaningful, that would be a bit different. So in this room of osteopathic physicians who are familiar with the tenets, but potentially don't think about them on a daily basis or maybe not on a conscious level. They have them ingrained into their practice, but in a way that would bring them to the surface and give them a new look, a new approach. And the slide that this is on, let's see if I can make this my cover slide for the podcast, is on the beach in Fort Myers, Florida. I was visiting a friend and this was in March, so it was relatively early in the podcast and in the website, and then in the formation of this osteopathic life. And I wrote the words, this osteopathic life in the sand. And it took quite a few tries because I was trying to get the surf in the picture as well. And in so doing, a few times I would write it and the waves would wash away before I had a chance to take a picture. And that lesson in and of itself had its own merits and interest and maybe a bit of irony. But as I looked at that picture and thought about the tenants. You know, they're not written in sand. They're certainly not impermanent. And they're not written in stone either. And as I pictured an organic version of the tenets, you know, in my mind, what I see are roots. And considering the tenets, the roots, and even moving into that trunk, the base structure of a tree, they're solid. You know, they're there, they're grounded. They're both kind of under the surface, you know, if we're thinking of them solely as the root structure. And if we consider their piece in creating the trunk, they have a visible kind of stoic and stable part of the experience of the tree. But they're also the source of branches. And they can extend into different ideas and ideals and practices. And as we see new iterations of medicine coming through. We've talked a bit before about functional medicine in this College of Lifestyle Medicine and thinking about how we now take a different approach to the practice of medicine. I hear osteopathy in many of those and think it's great for them to be repurposed and rewritten in ways that become palatable for a wider audience. Because certainly if I believe in the practice of osteopathic medicine as the premier and preferred way for patients to experience healthcare, for physicians to provide healthcare, and for the world as an effect to experience health, I would want them to be wider known. And so as we look at those branches and then the leaves, and just moving through autumn in a spectacular autumn in both Southern Oregon and in Michigan where I was, there's still a number of leaves on the trees. You know, the green vibrancy in the spring and the powerful change of colors in the autumn 
And then the shedding of the leaves, you know, the letting go, the impermanence of that factor. So practices that perhaps we adapted and they were great. And then they moved on and they fall to the ground and they re-nourish the soil and give back to those roots. Also the fruit or the seeds on the tree and how those tenants are giving way to totally new schools of thought that will fall and be planted and rise up in their own right, not even being part of the same system, being their own set of ideas and ideals. And honoring those origins, certainly they're the feeders, they're that solid structural foundation that gives any function to the system. And their role in creating that base, the trunk, the visible portion, and perhaps for some of us that's the application of osteopathic manipulative treatment. And also recognizing the branches in the place that they have in you know, spreading the power in the beauty and holding those leaves for some of the opportunity to have more transient ideals and practices and the fruits in their seeds, which can then serve to promote future generations in the propagation of those original ideas. And so how do we nurture that? What's our role? Where are we in the process? Can we engage on any level with that experience? So we came through the tenets and how we stop and think and apply them to ourselves. The one piece that came up most profoundly for me during this and in the week in advance of this talk, I was talking about treating the whole. And again, I've covered this in the past, but on Halloween, I was walking with a friend and at that point it was a half moon and it had been full. And so it was waning, right? It was coming away from being full. As we looked up at it, the visible half was very vibrant and very illuminated, but also the other half you could still see quite clearly. You know, it was dark and there was the outline, but you could see it much more completely than perhaps on another night. As we looked up at it and remarked at the stars, and it was a beautiful night, Halloween was quite lovely this year, she remarked to me that... You know, the moon is always whole. We just can't see it. And and we kind of paused and thought about that. And, you know, it seemed like so obvious and why we hadn't considered that before. And then, like all of these moments, stopped and thought about that for ourselves. And she's been on her own journey of healing and reformation and me on mine with all the transitions this past year. And you can have moments where you think that you're broken or incomplete or unworthy or incapable. And in that moment, looking up at that half moon and seeing its wholeness, even though part of it wasn't fully visible, we thought about that for ourselves. You know, we are and always have been whole. All that potential is always there. But sometimes we can't see it. You know, life gets in the way and stress gets in the way and helping others takes priority and so we no longer see ourselves. And just taking a moment and acknowledging that and acknowledging the health, which is at the end of the day, 
the kind of sum total of the osteopathic experience is honoring the health, the capacity for health, seeing it where it is, letting it be as it is, or supporting it through a potential change if that's what is appropriate. So now I have new appreciation for the moon and its reminder to honor the wholeness that is always there and recognize there are going to be times when it's not fully visible. We might just have to wait. You know, we might have to wait for that to cycle through and for that full moon to come around again. Or we might just have to rely on the trust that it's there, even if we don't have tangible evidence of it being present in that moment. And to that end, we just came through what was meant to be a very powerful full moon experience. It was 11-11, which has all its own merits. And particularly for me, 11 will always be my most favorite number. It was my wedding anniversary of 15 years this year. And then 11-12 was a full moon, and that kind of synergy of power came through, and there was ideas for manifestation. So on that night, I sat on the front porch under the moon and wrote out you know, some goals for the year, ideas to manifest. And this was one of them last year, and so I appreciate that it's coming to fruition. And I encourage you, we moved a few days beyond that full moon experience, but to think about the energy in this 11th month as we move toward the end of 2019, which is the end of a decade, and moving into 2020, which seems like it has all kinds of its own numerical energy about it, to think about what you might manifest, to take pause and consider your wholeness and what parts might be hidden from view to others or hidden from your own view, which can sometimes be the most challenging place to be. And there are a few other comments as we moved through the lecture. The one I wanted to end with here that I always find to be quite helpful, both in practice and in parenting and in personal life, is the quote, and it's been credited to many different sources, and so I won't name just one, but it is not original to me, that fair isn't everyone getting the same thing. Fair is everybody getting what they need in order to be successful. And this comes up a lot in our house with three children. There's always a sense of unfairness and we talk about equity and equality and fair and necessary and being supported in your endeavor for the success that you need. And the other part of this that comes up for me is not treating your problems with someone else's solution. So something might work very well for someone, and that's fantastic. And you could take that suggestion, you could try it, but also recognizing that you are you. And your problem, you know, while it might be shared on some level, is unique to you because of all the nuance of your humanity and individuality that goes with it. And so to recognize that if someone gives you a suggestion or a solution and it doesn't quite work, it's not necessarily that you failed. It's that it may not have been the right match. It may not have been the right piece of advice or action for you to take. And listening for what it is that you need to be successful. And it might be more, it might be less, it might just be totally different than someone else. And let that be okay. And listen for it. It can make it a little trickier. You know, it's not quite as easy, cut and dry, cookie cutter recipe remedy. But in the end, it will likely be more effective. And the final piece was taking this one step further. 
that fair isn't everyone giving the same thing. Fair is everybody giving what they can from their place of strength and authenticity in order to be sustainable. And this is one that I can struggle with myself. I say yes to a lot of things. I'm learning to put some no's in there. But learning to give from a place of strength in your natural gifts and talents. And certainly it can be work, it can be effort to give and be giving and be supportive. But it also needs to be in a way that's still sustainable for you, that doesn't take so much away from you in a matter of time or resources or energy that you can still be you and still care for you so that you can still be a giving person in a variety of realms. So those are some thoughts I'll have you take away from that lecture with gratitude to the directors of the Autumn Scientific Convention and hope that we'll collaborate again in the future with thanks to Dr. Crone, my former attending physician, for teaching me for teaching so many students and for continuing to take care of your patients. To my colleagues in the audience for encouraging me and being a friendly face, Drs. Pline. And to Dr. Taylor for interviewing me, for being a part of facilitating my entrance into medical school all those years ago. Continuing your hard work and with hope that we will collaborate in the future. And to all of you for expanding the osteopathic concept for personal and professional health in any variety of ways, and I hope you'll share them back with me so we can learn from each other. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.